Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Remember when you were saved. Remember when Jesus called you. Remember that you didn't get saved so you could become part of a church or you didn't get saved so you could become part of a ministry. You became saved because of Jesus. You loved him and that's what it's about and that's what this endurance is about. We're called to run our race for Christ with endurance, one day at a time, growing closer and closer to Him. If you once made a decision to follow Jesus, but then you grew weary or got distracted by this world, get back in the race today, one step at a time. He'll be there to pick you up and meet you right where you are. Please stay with us for this message out of Hebrews chapter 10 with Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary Tucson. Father, we want to thank you for your word. When we come here, we are not interested in what men have to say. We want to know what you say. We want to know what your word says, how it applies to us, what it means, and what we need to do because of it. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title of our message today is The Three R's of Endurance. I wanted to put the three R's in endurance and just didn't get it done, but this passage speaks to us about the need that you and I have to endure in the race that God has given us to run. That if the Lord tarries for 20 years or 30 years and we are still here doing the work that God calls us to do, that you would be running your race with Jesus every bit as effectively in 20 years or 30 years as you are now. Now, if Jesus tarries for 30 years, which I don't think he's going to, by the way, I think he's going to come back soon. I'm hoping it's tomorrow, all right? But it might be, be longer. And if it's for 30 years, I want to still be faithfully running the race. Now, I'll be 80 years old and running it a little bit slower than I do now, but I want to be running it. And I got to tell you, if he waits for 30 years before he comes back for his church, I want you to be enduring and I've been doing this long enough to know that there are people that get involved in church and they get excited about it and they get involved in, in a, this program or that program or they go and, into prison ministry or they're feeding the homeless or they're involved, but then after a couple of years, they drift away and they're no longer walking with the Lord. I run into people that used to go to the church when I'm at the grocery store or at Walgreens or CVS, wherever. And often I'll ask them, because I'll know they're not going to church anymore, well, what church are you going to? And uh, not because I want to get them back here, by the way, but because I want them to still be running the race. And sometimes they'll say Victory Assembly or Cassis Adobe's Baptist or, or Christ Community, one of the other churches in town. And I'll tell you, I'm happy that they're going there. We're not the only game in town. And I would that there would be a hundred more churches like Calvary in Tucson where people are plugged in and sold out and God's doing great things. But every once in a while, I'll talk to somebody and they'll say, they'll go like this. I'll go, well, what church are you going to? Because it's one of my regular questions when I run into somebody that's not going to church anymore. What, what church are you going to? Well, no, we haven't been going for a while. We really need to get back into it. That's the kind of thing they'll say. I've been around long enough to know that a good number of you here today are going to fall into that. You'll walk with the Lord for a while. You'll be sold out for a while, but you are not going to endure to the end. And the early church had the same problem. There were those who were not running with endurance. They were excited about God. They were sold out where they were. They were doing what they needed to do, but they were on the verge of going back or had gone back. You remember that the book of Hebrews is written to, this is shocking, you ready? Hebrews, right? 
early Jewish Christians who were Hebrews, who once were in the temple giving sacrifices, but they had become Christians. They had realized that Jesus died upon the cross for their sins and they were set free by that. But they had over a period of years, they had gotten saved maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. Hebrews was written 64 AD. The first Christians became Christians in 33, 32, 33 AD. So 30 years had passed. Some of them had walked with the Lord for a while, but now they were going back to the temple. They were giving sacrifices again, and they were trampling the blood of Jesus underfoot. They were counting it as a worthless thing, as if saying the blood of Jesus doesn't matter. We do the same thing when we walk with him, love him, follow him, get involved, sold out, but then we start going back and living in the world. We start to live like we were never a Christian. Maybe the cares and the worries of this world choke out the word of God. Maybe hobbies or habits or sins cause us to no longer live for him. And we begin to live for the world. And when we go back to living like we lived before we knew Jesus, we trample the blood of Jesus underfoot. We count his sacrifice as a worthless thing. See, it's like, I don't really need it. I'm living the way that I'm living now. I don't really need it. We count his sacrifice as if it was worthless. I want to see you running with endurance. I want to run with endurance. I want to run the race that God has given me faithfully until he either calls me to be with him or he comes back again to get me. And the Bible says that Jesus is returning. Not only has he redeemed your soul and redeemed your spirit, but he's redeemed your body. Do you know that? You're going to have this body throughout eternity. Some of you guys are excited. Some of you guys are like, no, I wanted a new one. All right. Well, I'll give you some hope here, all right? And I'm right there, okay? Because mine's wearing out, right? It happens in time. And that is that our bodies are going to be changed. The Bible says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We are going to be changed in a moment and twinkling of an eye. We will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And those who have died before us are going to be caught up as well. And they're going to be changed. And then we're going to follow them. And we're going to be changed. And this corruptible will put on incorruptible. This mortal will put on immortality. And we will forever be with the Lord together. And when he comes for us, we want to be running the race. We don't want to be faltering. We don't want to be back in our old lifestyles. We don't want to be going back to some old religious system. Maybe you were brought up as a Mormon or as a witness. You don't want to go back to those systems. You want to hang on to Jesus. You want to stay true to what he has called you to do and not turn back to those things. Now look at verse 36. To understand this text from verse 23 to the end of the chapter, verse 39, verse 36 helps us with that. It says, for you have need of endurance. And then look all the way back at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. That is the heart of the text we are studying today. Hold fast to the hope without wavering. You have need of endurance. Now, not only did they have need of endurance, but you and I have need of endurance as well. We need to be able to run this race efficiently and effectively that God has given us and run it until the very end. Now, I've called this the three R's of endurance because in this text, I find three things to help us to make sure that in 20 years, we're still walking with him. Number one is to rally, rally the troops kind of thing, that we are not in this thing alone. We want to rally the troops together. Number two, that you would remain because that which is the option is not an option. 
You either remain close to Jesus or you live your own life. And living your own life now is not an option, so you must remain. Number three, that you recall or you remember. Remember where you came from. When I was saved at 14 years old, when Jesus called me and I responded and prayed a salvation prayer, I didn't do it so I could become a pastor. I didn't do it so I could become somebody in the church. I did it because I was a lonely, hurting kid. My dad had died less than a year before that of Lou Gehrig's disease. I thought I was okay because I was going to church. And when I came to Jesus, I was compelled by Jesus. I had watched the show, Jesus Christ Superstar. Now, don't go out and get it because of that, because it's a blasphemous show, okay? But it presented the, the life of Jesus. And I was drawn to it. I got the albums and I played them loudly in my home as a 14-year-old before I committed my life to Christ because I, I was compelled by who this Jesus was. Remember when you were saved. Remember when Jesus called you. Remember that you didn't get saved so you could become part of a church or you didn't get saved so you could become part of a ministry. You became saved because of Jesus. You loved him and that's what it's about and that's what this endurance is about. So we start with the rally, rally together. It says in verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, don't forsake the gathering of yourself together. It's telling us that we need to be a part of the body. We need to be a part of, of the church, that we are not to neglect gathering together. Now, here we are, Sunday. Is it afternoon yet? close. It's either Sunday. Yeah, it's okay. So it's Sunday afternoon and you guys are in church. All right. So that tells me that if I talk to you about church attendance, I'm going to be preaching to the choir, right? Because I need to talk to the people that aren't here about gathering together. However, in a large church, Charles Swindoll wrote a book a few years ago called The Body. It was about the church. And in this book, he had a chapter on large churches, medium-sized churches, and small churches. And he talked about the advantages that you find in a large church, a medium church, and a small church. There's things that you can gain from each of them and that not all people are suited for all churches. Some people don't do good in a, a small church or they don't do well in a large church. Maybe they need to find that church to really figure where they fit in. Well, when he came to the weaknesses of each one of the churches, when he got to the large church, he said one of the weaknesses that a large church has is that you can hide in a large church. You can come in and you can sit down and you can go and you can never get to know anybody. And if you do that, it is going to be hard for you to endure for 20 or 30 years because you're on your own. A Lone Ranger Christian doesn't make it very well. Maybe you see yourself as the Lone Ranger Christian. I've got a little mask. Maybe you got a horse named Silver. You named your car Silver. <laughs> but the Lone Ranger wasn't really alone either, was he? He had Tonto as well. So there really is no doing it alone. And it's not just about attending church. This is good. It's good for you to be here. But if you don't get to know one another, then there's no way for you to love one another. There's no way for you to bear one another's burdens. I, I speak of this from personal experience in the last year and a half. Going through the struggle that I've gone through, when my wife found out that she had cancer, the body rallied around us. Our friends sent us text messages with scriptures. And I got to tell you, those verses were uncanny. How often they spoke to exactly what we were facing. A couple of weeks before she died, we, we came to grips with the fact that God wasn't going to heal her. That's pretty hard for us. 
We've seen God heal. God heals. And when we came to grips with the fact that she wasn't going to be healed, it was pretty brutal for her and it was brutal for me. But we got some texts and I've got to tell you, uncanny, the texts were unbelievable. It revealed to us that God was still at work, even in this unthinkable situation, that God was still working and God used the body. And I don't know that Lisa would have been able to run her race as well as she did to the end if it wasn't for those friends that were around her. But she didn't initiate those when she found out that she was sick. They were relationships that she had for years. They were ones that were there. The people that came around me and are still coming around me are not relationships that just started. They are ones that I have had for years. The Bible says in Galatians that we are to bear one another's burdens. I can't bear your burdens if I don't know you. You can't bear my burdens if you don't know me. We can't bear one another's burdens unless we know one another. Now, here's the thing. It's awkward to get to know new people. And the older we get, the worse we get at making new relationships. Young people are forced into it all the time, all right? We make them go to school where they meet new people and it's awkward for them, but they get past it. But the older we get, we aren't in those situations anymore and we aren't forced into them anymore. And so whenever I go anyplace, I'm gonna tell you guys one of my weaknesses now, I put in earphones. If I'm gonna go to the gym, I put in earphones. And I try to walk around like I'm not looking at anybody because I want to go work out, you know? And I don't really want to get to know a lot of new people. And that's just kind of the way it is. Sometimes there's nothing playing. It's just earphones. And then they talk to me I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yes. All right. It's awkward to get to know new people, but it's necessary. You got to go to the awkward. And if you're here in the church, and it's the same is true in a small church. Don't think if I go to a small church, I'm going to suddenly get involved. All that a small church does is give you accountability. If you go to a church of 50 people, they know you. What are you involved in? Well, I'm involved in something else you don't know about. Yeah, I do. We know everything that goes on here. That's what a small church does. It's like a small town. Everybody knows everything. In a larger church, you've got to get just as involved. You've got to find a ministry to get involved with, get to know people, go through those awkward stages. But here's the thing. Some of you guys don't want to get involved because it's painful. The more people you open up, the more people you let in close, the more people are that can hurt you. If I don't know someone and they say something bad about me, I could care less. I truly have a duck's back or a pastor's back. I was told when I was 25 and started preaching that when people said bad things about me, I had to learn to let it go because people were going to say a lot of bad things about me. And I'll tell you what, that's been true over the years. When someone says something bad about Calvary or bad about me and I don't know them, I don't care. Here just recently, somebody told me, I was talking with this guy and he told me that Calvary just ministers to baby Christians, that they don't minister to mature Christians. And I said, do they go to the church? And he goes, no, they don't go. They go to this other church. I go, well, I don't care what they say. <laughs> not because they go to that church, okay? That's not what I was saying. They don't go to our church. And if they don't go here, they don't really know. They're not in the Bible studies. They don't know what depth or kind of meat or milk you and I go through on a regular basis. So they can say whatever they want to say. They don't have a basis for it and it can't hurt me. But if somebody that's been at the church for years says something like that, it would hurt me. The more I open up, the more people I get to know, the people who are the closest to me are the ones that can hurt me the most. And so some of you guys, you don't let people close to you because you've been hurt. Maybe you guys have come from a church where you were involved and something happened at that church and you were hurt. And now you're here at Calvary and you're going, I'm going to stay on the outskirts. I'm coming to church and I'm leaving and I'm not going to get to know anybody. But here's the problem. Without doing that, you don't really become a part of the body of Christ. 
Again, in the body, Charles Swindoll's book on the church, he said that he finds that church congregations are often like a bag of marbles. God shakes us up and he wants us to get close when he does that. And all we do is clank together. Clank, 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 clank. We got a bunch of hard shells and we're not letting anybody get close. He said, instead, we should be like a bag of grapes that when God shakes us up, we just mush together. It's not clank, clank, clank. It's mush and it's messy. There's a proverb that says, where there's an empty stall, the stall is clean, but much power comes from the strength of the ox. Now, here's what the proverb is saying. Put yourself back in their day. You have an ox. You've got 40 acres of property. You can put a yoke on the ox and you can plow the property. It becomes much easier. If you don't have that ox, what do you got to do? You got to plow that property by hand. No fun, right? So you have an ox. Much power comes from the strength of the ox, but the stall is no longer clean. You might have an ox, but you also got to deal with the poo-poo, <laughs> right? An ox poo-poo, not something that's real easy to deal with. Now, here's what the proverb is saying when we apply it to the church. Hey, look, where you don't know anybody, the stall's clean. And when you get to know people, then the stall's no longer clean. People are going to hurt you. They're going to offend you. There's going to be things that are said, but much strength comes from the power of the ox. It's worth getting to know people. And even then, when people offend us and say things that they shouldn't say, and trust me, people say the stupidest things. People are hurtful. People in the name of, of Christ are hurtful. I've heard them all over the years. And here recently, I've heard people say things that I'm like, wow, I can't believe that you really said that, that you really went there. But here's what it does. It gives us an opportunity to do what Ephesians 4 tells us, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. We're to extend forgiveness and love to one another. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. We've crammed as many chairs into this room as we can possibly get. We can't fit any more chairs. Literally, we could probably fit five or six more chairs in here. The aisles are so close, you guys have trouble getting in and out. And when, when I'm watching during a worship service and somebody saves a seat in the middle, and somebody gets in, you step on every person's foot as you go in. It's like you can see it, ow, ooh, ah, ow, ooh, ah, as people go over it. Well, I'll tell you what, it's like that in the kingdom of God. We step on each other's toes. But it allows us, as the Bible says, love covers a multitude of sins. It allows us to cover those sins by love. And if we get to know people, if we have that accountability, then we're going to run that race with endurance. Without it, we're probably not going to make it. You might prove me wrong. There might be an exception, but I'm going to tell you, it's going to be much more difficult for you to be running your race swiftly for Jesus in 20 years if you don't get to know anyone, if you isolate yourself, if you push yourself aside and don't get involved in the body, if you don't come alongside of us and ministering to this town, then it's going to be much more difficult for you to be able to run that race effectively. We must have the first hour of endurance, which is to rally together. We are a troop. We are a team. The second that we find is to remain because if you don't remain, the option is unthinkable. Now, I realize as I introduce this topic that I, I walk on controversial ground because there are those people that teach the once saved, always saved. Now, this is the uber Calvinistic teaching that if you come forward, if you raise your hand, if you pray a prayer and you get involved in a church, and then you walk away from God. You are no longer living for him. Maybe you become an atheist. Maybe you become a devil worshiper. 
Maybe you're just someone that the cares and the worries of the world and habits and sin and hobbies have choked out the word of God and you're not following him anymore. And so the Calvinistic teaching, once saved, always saved, says you're okay. Doesn't matter what you're involved in, you're okay because you came forward and you raised your hand and you committed your life to Christ. But here's the thing. Men who teach the once saved, always saved, John MacArthur, R.C. Sprawl, John Piper, I can name a few other men that teach this position. They are going to tell you, and I've looked up what they say, okay? They are going to tell you those people are not saved, not because they lost their salvation, but they're going to tell you the very fact that they went back into the world is proof that they were never saved. They claim that they have the ability to know the heart of the individual when they made a commitment. On the other side, you have men like Charles Swindoll, Billy Graham, uh, Charles Stanley, and others who say, I don't know whether the person was saved or not. I don't know whether they made a commitment. That's where Calvary falls in, by the way. Chuck Smith, Greg Laurie, myself. I don't know. I don't have spiritual ESPN. I can't tell whether or not someone was really genuinely saved or not. I think as far as some of those people that got involved in the church, really got cooking in it, were feeding the homeless and involved in it, and then walked away, I think some of them were saved and some of them weren't. That's the reality of where I think. But it doesn't matter. See, we want to argue about this. Certain churches want to have every sermon that they have about once saved, always saved. These guys can go to this topic from any passage in the Bible. It's uncanny. Talk about uncanny. They can start in any passage and they can end with once saved, always saved. And they hammer it in. But here's the thing. The guy's still unsaved. You, let's just take the extreme. Guy gets, raises his hand, prays a prayer, goes to church, gets involved in the prison ministry, gets involved in the homeless ministry, and then walks away from God and becomes a devil worshiper. And now... The once saved, always saved guy says, and actually they don't say this, but I'm sure you could find someone who would say this, that that devil worshiper is going to go to heaven because he raised his hand at one point. So you and I are up in heaven and we're like, who made this pentagram? <laughs> it was that devil worshiper. He got in in that loophole. Once you raise your hand and you commit your life to the Lord, then you're always saved. So we got to live eternity with a devil worshiper. Listen, there will be no devil worshipers in heaven. Okay, And everybody from the uber-Calvinists to extreme Arminianists, which we are not Arminianists, by the way, who believe that people, they sneeze and they lose their salvation. Okay, They got to be saved again. They got to be born again, 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 born again, 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 again. We don't believe that. Although the Calvinists will claim we do, we don't. Okay, It's all the same. The guy's still unsaved. There's nobody, not extreme Calvinists and not extreme Arminianists, who say that a person that once raised their hand and prayed a prayer who then became an apostate is saved. They both say he's unsaved. One of them that he was never saved and the fact that he left is proof that he was never saved. The other one that they don't know, but the guy is unsaved now because he's not following Jesus. In other words, you have no confidence as someone who has walked away from God. I don't know whether you've crossed a line. I don't know whether you've gone too far. I don't know whether or not if you were to die now, you would make it into heaven. Again, I don't have spiritual ESP. There's no way that I can know. But what I know is that there is a fearful expectation of judgment. And that's where the text goes. As he continues to talk about endurance, he says this in verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. These people once walked with God and now are back in the old system. 
And so if we sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. If you go back into your old lifestyle, if you are no longer following Jesus, if you willfully walk away from him, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. There is no surety that you are saved. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kgun 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.